Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We are about to get into our Bible study time as we have a discussion here over uh, which translation we're going to use this morning. Um, but Renee's getting very busy, busily prepared to turn to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. Before we go there, a few things we need to work our way through. The end.digital. So the end.digital, we did that uh, earlier in the year, was just unbelievably popular. It is back by popular demand with a new installment. So this is an American special. Very cool. So called America in the End. So the American special is a nine-part series followed by live Q&A discussions. Uh, It will feature Sharissa Tarosian and myself as the first end did, along with Sharissa's husband, Justin Tarosian. We decided that it would be important if we're going to talk about America to actually have an American um, (laughs) do some presenting on the program. And the follow-up discussion will be two Americans, two Australians. And so we will have uh, Matt Parra and the Tarosians and myself in the follow-up discussions to talk about, you know, questions and answers, things that have come up as a result of the presentations. And so we do invite you to join us, theend.digital. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or on uh, on the end.digital uh, website. And we will be launching, premiering this coming Wednesday, the 27th. Is that Yes, that is the coming Wednesday. Wednesday the 27th, next Wednesday, is when we'll be premiering at 7.30 in the evening. So, yeah, don't miss out. Let's be there for that one. All right, so we've talked about that. Okay, text messages. Let's get back to our text messages coming through from our listeners. What have we got here? Ooh, somebody pointing out a news story that might be interesting about... Um, from Nigeria, peaceful protesters being shot dead. That's a bit scary. Um, what else have we got? We've got we've got more text messages in this. Uh, where did they all go? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <coughs> Regulation of the churches is a practiced run for what's coming in the near future hmm. for God's people. Total closure for Saturday keeping churches. Remember what happened to the Jewish synagogues in Nazi Germany during World War Two. We do have. Uh, we do have some very interesting precedents from the past that we do see being continued through or, or, or repeated in COVID. I think what's interesting is that, okay, you get a pandemic and it's sensible to close stuff down. We get that. But what isn't, it's not so interesting to me that churches got closed down. What is most interesting to me is how reticent they are to open them back up again. Yeah. It's like we're going to keep, you know, these are the enemy of the state. Let's keep them closed as long as we possibly can uh, and do as much damage to them as we possibly can. And I'm just sort of thinking, when did Christianity become the enemy of the state? Mm. You know, when did pubs, which sell a poisonous and a toxic substance that rips families apart Mm. and destroys people's lives, when did they become a higher priority? When did pubs that sell alcohol that is a primary depressant? Mm. You know, we have a massive pandemic of depression in this country and alcohol is a depressant as a, as a substance, you, you feel happy while you're drinking it, but as a substance, it pushes you deeper and deeper and deeper into depression. Mm. 
So you have a pandemic. Okay, well, you're going to get depression as a result of a pandemic. We get that. And we also get that social connectedness and community and worshipping God is one of the best ways of getting people out of depression. So shouldn't we be opening churches before pubs? Hmm. You know, haven't we got this the wrong way around somewhere along the line? Just as a society, haven't people actually figured out the obvious right here? Anyway, I'm having a rant. You got me started. <laughs> Somebody texts through, got me started. That's what happens when people text me. I have to get started on a rant. Uh, okay, we should get off our rant and let's do some Bible study. Uh, we've looked at this passage from John chapter 1 a couple of times before, but we're going to look at it again. Uh, this time we're going to look at a different perspective on it. This week we've been talking about the eyes of God and, and seeing our world through God's world worldview. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, creation is central to that because the worldview of the secular world, and the secular world is the minority of our world, but the minority view in our world today is that we come from an evolutionary process. Now, the reason that we address this very regularly is because it is the only worldview that seriously challenges the creation worldview. Yes. And so we've got a serious challenge for the first time in history. Uh, for the creation worldview, um, and so it's something that we address. Serious challenge comes along. It's like challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, and of course, what's interesting is that the majority of Christianity has abandoned the creation worldview, which is absolutely bizarre. You did say like thirty percent. Like 30% of Baptists believe in six-day creation. Mm. 80% of Adventists, mm. which is – I don't know how to think about that. How, how, I'm glad that we're like light years ahead of everyone else. Mm. I'm gutted that we're not 100%. Yeah. It's like seriously, people? Yeah. I Have you heard the um, the theory that like, yes, God did create the world, but necessarily in six – Earth days? like Yeah, I have heard that theory many times. Mm. Um, and so it's a, basically what it is is that God's primary uh, means of creation is death. What does that mean? Okay, so you've got long ages of uh, creation, so six different eras of creation. Yeah. Right? And uh, the way that creation takes place during those six eras of creation is through natural selection. Yeah, ooh. And if natural selection is the primary means of creation, then death is God's tool for creating the world. Okay, yeah. And then death is not the result of sin. No, it's part of creation. It's God's means of creation. Yeah. And so it actually exalts death. That's so ironic, I ne- and I never thought of it that way. Now, it, and this is where this is where this this Bible study today's Bible study actually goes, because if death is not the result of sin, right, then what is the purpose of the cross? Mm-hmm. Why did Jesus die? What was he paying the penalty for if death pre-exists sin? Uh huh. You know, you start to try and sit on the fence. And it is the most awkward place to sit. It's way easier mm. to go full evolution. Yes. You either got to go full evolution or full creation. Sitting on the fence and going halfway in between, that's just agony. Mm. You know, I don't know whether you've ever tried sitting with uh, one leg. It, it, sitting, sitting on this particular fence is like sitting on a spiky fence with a leg on either side. Ugh. 
that's not going to be a fun experience for anybody no. whatsoever at all. <laughs> Fence sitting is not the solution. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Yeah, and somebody's somebody's texted through in relationship to my earlier rant. Um, about you know, why, why our churches are being targeted uh-huh. uh, during the COVID uh, release of um, restrictions, and they're like, the answer is simple: it's the plan. It's the plan. It's the plan. So somebody's seeing uh, definitely something more sinister behind all of very this. Very ominous. Very <laughs> ominous. Very sinister. Ooh. And the reality is that whether it's the plan this time or not, we know what the Bible teaches. Yeah, we do. You know, there's this this. There's no question about that. Absolutely. This is, this is what the Bible teaches. Mm. The Bible teaches this is the future. Christianity is going to, going to uh, you know, the closer we get to the end of time, the more persecution that there will come in Western countries mm. for people of faith. Serious stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, I got sidetracked. We were talking about creation. We were talking about fence sitting. Where were we? Let's let's get back to our Bible. John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1. Let's read the first three verses of John chapter 1. Because the whole point of this particular Bible study today is to point out that redemption and creation cannot be separated from each other. Okay, go for it. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Okay, it's almost like as if John is uh, looking down prophetically because, of course, John was a prophet. It's almost like he's looking down through prophetic eyes into the future and going, you know what, at the end of time there's going to be people that are going to deny that, uh, you know, they're going to try and be religious and try and be Christian and deny creation. Mm. So how can I write this down in the clearest way possible Yeah. so that nobody can ever get this wrong? Okay, I'm going to just like emphasize it. In the beginning was God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So Jesus was there with God and he created everything. Everything was made by him. Nothing exists that he wasn't made. You know, he's just repeating himself, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is John having a bit of a rant here, isn't it? Yes. Okay, I feel a little bit better now. Yeah. If John's allowed to have a rant, then okay, but he is a prophet. <laughs> I am not. So he's allowed to have a rant. That's okay. We had one anyway. Uh, too late. It's the way radio. It's the light way live radio works. It's out there. <laughs> Okay, where are we up to? We read verse 3, did we? Yes, we did. Okay, let's keep going. Let's read another three verses. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Okay, once again, you know, you, you work your way down through these verses right here, and John is emphasizing you know, Jesus as our creator and emphasizing the difference between light and darkness and life and death. There's an emphasis here that is repeated a couple of times where the Bible says in him was life mm. and he brought life. Mm-hmm. If God was, if this was a credit creation scenario, this passage would not read that way. This passage would read in him was death and he brought death. Because death is the only way that evolution can take place. Mm. Evolution cannot exist without lots and lots and lots of death, survival of the fittest, natural selection. Yeah. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that 
death is God's enemy, that he hates death, that he came to this world to extinguish death, uh, and that he is life. God is love, God is light, and God is life. Mm. So this is what we find here. Um, the, the Bible says in relationship to Jesus as our creator. Okay, we got up to there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let's talk about John, verse 7, 8, and 9. All right. So John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is a true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay, so once again, you know, the Bible talks about John. Yes. And he was, in other places, the Bible says that John was the greatest prophet that ever lived. Yes. He was like the Elijah of the New Testament. That's right. So we've got the greatest of the prophets here. And the Bible says, no, he wasn't the light. He just reflected the light. He pointed to the light. He was a witness. Yeah. He was a witness of the light. He spoke about the light. Mm. Uh, but he wasn't the light. Who was the light? Is that a question? That's a question. Oh, yeah. Well, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I asked a question that was too obvious, didn't I? I should, I should not ask questions that are that obvious. No. Is it, is it Jesus, Lyle? Is it, is it Jesus? Uh, yeah, I think it might be. I think it might be. Oh. All right. Uh, where did we get up to? Verse 9? Verse 10. Was, okay, verse 10. Mm. All right, let's have verse 10. So, he came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. Okay, and verse 11 as well. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. Okay, so here you've got the Messiah who turns up. He is the light. He is the life. Mm. He is the creator. Mm-hmm. And the world doesn't know who he is. They don't recognize him. John recognizes him, but nobody actually knows who Jesus. John, no, nobody outside of John recognizes that G, that the Messiah has turned up. Mm. He's been living here for thirty some years. During that entire time, he's never sinned. You would think that that would catch somebody's attention. They go, "Wait a minute, this is not your average kind of person that we have living in our midst right now." What made? How did he? How did he become so, like, unseen or just? How did people not recognize him? You know, I think it's a, got a lot to do with the fact that he didn't look amazing. In the Bible, says there was no, you know, comeliness or handsomeness that we would desire him. He just looked mm. like an ordinary person. Mm. He came from a very low socioeconomic background. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came from a town of a very bad reputation. Uh, so, you know, it's a little bit like um, somebody coming from, you know, some of the suburbs around where you minister that just don't have the greatest reputation. Sure. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Mia yeah. Matt Drew, it doesn't have the greatest no, reputation. No, it doesn't, no. Um, my son lived in Wilmot for a couple of years. Mm. Uh, which is just in the back of uh, Mount Druitt there. So yeah, pretty pretty good idea of what goes on in that uh, suburb. <laughs> we didn't we didn't live too uh, far away ourselves, and uh, you know, great opportunity for doing lots of um, Bible studies. People that are, you know, spiritually open, but very high crime rate, all and that kind of stuff. Less opportunity for them. Oh, yeah, and when you say, "Yeah, I'm from Mount Druitt," yeah, it doesn't look good on your resume. No, no. And so Jesus turns up. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm from Nazareth." And it's like. Yeah. Instant, um, socially profiled. Yes, in Sydney, if you say you're from the West, they're yeah, Westy. Yeah, 
I was always a Westie. Were but, you always a Westie? Uh, yeah, I was always, always a Westie. <laughs> yeah, go Westies! <laughs> but somehow it was all those factors that you said that contributed to the fact that people just turned a blind eye to him. That's right. They didn't recognize to who he was. To the creator of, of our world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> God yeah. himself, so. And you've got, you know, it fascinates me, you know, because Christmas is coming up. Yeah, we can use Christmas. We can use the Christmas word now, I think. It's not that far away. What is it, a couple of months from Christmas? It's still October, Lyle. It's still it's a, It's two months. <laughs> it's only two months to Christmas. <laughs> yes. Like day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Legally, though, legally you cannot say it until November. Oh, okay. All right. So this is the law. This is this is Renee's law. No mention of Christmas until November. All right. We're going to talk about. But anyway. But if you look at if you look at the birth of Jesus, you've got you know the Magi, the highest level of society in Persia, yeah, that turn up to worship Jesus. You've got shepherds, the simplest level of society, uh, in Judea, that turn up to worship Jesus. And you've got the priests in Jerusalem, which are you know part of the highest society in the world. Why not have a bar of it? You know, they, Herod sends an army to go and wipe this guy out, and it uh, he was not recognised. Yeah, he was recognised by some, by few, but by those that you would not expect them to recognise him. Mm. All right, where are we up to? Verse uh, eleven. Let's read verse twelve. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I love this. I love this passage right here because when you stop and think about uh, the fact, when you stop and think about who we are, you know, and we often look down at ourselves. Yeah. We don't really understand our self-worth, but we are the children of God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right. Where are we up to? Well, we are up to a verse twelve. Verse twelve. Okay, let's have uh, let's have let's have verse twelve then. No, do we we already had. Oh, that's we already did verse, verse 12. thirteen. Verse thirteen. Yes. Sorry. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Okay, so here we have the fact that you know we often look at ourselves as like, okay, who am I? I'm sort of a nobody. We look down on ourselves. Um, and, you know, low self-esteem, all that kind of stuff can be quite damaging to a person. Yeah. What we need to understand is our true identity and where our true value lies. Mm -hmm. Our true value lies in the fact that we are the blood-bought children of God. Outside of being the blood-bought children of God, then... Our value is only the value that we give to ourselves and a lot of people that don't understand that they are the blood-bought children of God are like, okay, I don't feel like I'm very valuable so I need to start thinking about my value and thinking of myself as being valuable and it's kind of like a kind of like circular reasoning. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, and you just sort of build yourself up. You can't drag yourself out of a swamp by your shoelaces. <laughs> exactly. Somebody else can drag you out of the swamp. Mm. We don't need to live for self. We need to die for self. Self is not the solution. Self is the problem. Jesus is the answer. And somebody's texting through here to say that when the Bible talks about Jesus 
was nothing to be desired. He's not talking about his personal look, but in the Jewish mindset, they expected a king to save them from captivity, not a lowly person from Nazareth. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was, and you know, he was without blemish, uh, the second Adam. Um, and so this person's putting forward that he's probably actually good looking. But he certainly wasn't a king. Yeah. And he certainly came from a very low socioeconomic background and a suburb with a reputation. Mm-hmm. A suburb that you did not want to have as an address on your resume, mm-hmm. particularly if you are starting a new global religion. Interesting thought right there. Okay. Uh, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Verse 14. Let's do verse 14. Okay, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. My Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we mm. beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. I love how yours says unfailing love right there. Yeah. It's very, very special. Okay, let's, uh, let's think about this then for a moment because the Bible says that he was full of glory and John says, and we beheld his glory. What's John talking about when he says, we beheld his glory? Ooh, okay. Ah, I've got I've got I've got Renee puzzled right here. She's looking at me with a blank. <laughs> I don't. We beheld his glory. Yes, John says we beheld his glory. Oh, I'm tempted to go back and say, well, in the earlier text it talks about the word, and in the beginning, so yes. beholding his glory could refer to, I guess, everything his creation. Yes, absolutely. His glory could also be his character. Absolutely, I like everything you're saying. Oh, that's that's where I. <laughs> okay, so let's think about those first two, for instance, because uh, he uses the word we here. That's plural. Mm. We saw his glory. We beheld his yeah, glory. Yeah, And so that's, it's not more than just like I saw his glory. Mm. Moses could say that. But what's interesting is, okay, so let's go back to, let's go back to when Moses saw God's glory, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, hold your finger there. Let's go back to Exodus. And let's read this story here. Uh, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 17. You could read that one for us, please. Yeah, sure. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Yeah, keep going. Then Moses responded, show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Okay, this is interesting right here. Notice what happens. Moses says, show me your glory. Hmm. God replies... I will proclaim my name and then proceeds to proclaim his character. Yeah. All right. So let's put this all together so far. Moses says, show me your glory. God says, okay, I will show you my glory. So he's like, okay, show me your glory. Yeah, I'll do that. And then what he does, he says, I will proclaim my name and he proclaims his character. Yeah. (laughs) So 
if you are Moses and you say, God, please show me your glory. And God says, okay, you would expect that God would turn up in dazzling glory. That's what I've always yeah, envisioned. Right? Yeah, you envisioned that. God says, okay, I'll do that. And then God says, I'll proclaim my name. So I'm going to show you my glory by proclaiming my name. And so if you're Moses, like, okay, I'm going to hear God speak his own name. And then God doesn't speak his own name. God speaks his character. Mm. And this is God's true glory right here is his character. And that's what he's trying to emphasize. God's name is his character. His glory is his character. It all focuses in on the character of God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's go to our... It's time for our... Question of the day. Okay, so this question comes in from our listener, from Brad, um, and he asks, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, seems to indicate that the body and the soul are separate. Can you please explain this in the light of the fact that the SDA church believes that body and soul are one? Okay, what the SDA church believes is irrelevant. It's what the Bible teaches. Mm, come on now. Um, so we're going to look at what the Bible teaches. And if we read Matthew te- chapter 10 and verse 28, it says this. So let's read what it says. Fear not those which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy or to kill both soul and body in hell. Okay, so here's what the Bible teaches in this passage. The Bible teaches in the clearest possible language the non-immortality of the soul. Mm. Uh, That the soul is killed. That's what it says. Fear those that can kill both the body and the soul. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first point right there that we need to make very, very clear. If you're going to use this particular passage, you cannot use this particular passage to support the immortality of the soul because it says the exact opposite. Now, what about the soul and the body being one? Okay, the word for soul here is the Greek word pushed, which means life. There's more than 40 times it's translated as life. So the answer to this passage here becomes entirely consistent with the rest of the Bible simply by using the translation life. So let's look at it from that perspective. Fear not those which kill the body, but are not able to kill the life. Okay, so what does it mean to kill the body, but not kill the life? The Mm. Bible says, Jesus says, that if we accept him, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Present tense. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's the resurrection. So having eternal life, present tense, is having the promise of the resurrection. Now, human beings can kill our body, but they cannot kill our eternal life because they cannot take away our promise of eternal life. Yeah. Um, But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body, or is able to destroy both our life and our body mm. in hellfire. Mm. It's because nobody's coming back from hellfire. And once again, notice here, the Bible does not teach the immortality of the soul in hellfire. The Bible teaches that the soul is killed in hellfire. That's what it says in that verse. That's important to pick up. Okay, now, to, to, to make sure that we have the, the correct translation of the word push here, and that it should be translated as life. All you've got to do is look at 
the other place in the Bible where the same verse is. So you've got the Gospels, and they repeat each other in a lot of places. And particularly Matthew and Luke repeat each other. So read Luke's version of this same statement. And you read it in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. It says, Be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. Why? Because they cannot take away your promise of eternal life. Uh, I, I, but I will, it continues on, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed has power to throw into hell. That's talking about exactly the same thing. It is the parallel verse right there. And the Bible here is talking about uh, him which is able to take away not just the body, but able to take away life as well, the promise of eternal life. The Bible is entirely consistent, and that's what the Bible teaches. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.